Welcome to AUKUS Amplified from the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons, advancing hip and knee patient care through education, advocacy, research, and outreach. Hi, I'm Anna Cohen-Rosenblum. I'm a hip and knee surgeon at Louisiana State University in New Orleans and the social media editor for Arthroplasty Today. I'm honored today to be joined by our editor-in-chief, Dr. Greg Galanay, and our deputy editor, Dr. Brett Levine. Thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having us, Anna. This is Greg Galladay. I'm the editor-in-chief of Arthroplasty Today, and I work at VCU Health in Richmond, Virginia. And sitting across from me is Dr. Levine. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm at Rush University, and I am the deputy editor, and looking forward to this podcast. So I want to start by asking both of you, what do you think makes Arthroplasty Today unique? So I, I think one of the, the best things about Arthroplasty Today is we accept case reports and uh, a wide array of articles. We've gotten some great submissions that have increased over the past several years, and I think you know, that kind of makes this journal unique in that it, it does present case reports, white papers, brief communications. You don't find that in a lot of other journals. I think that's very important and Arthroplasty Today started out with one of its main objectives to be a repository for case reports which can still be quite instructive but a lot of journals weren't accepting them. There are some other case report journals out there but for Arthroplasty I think this is a very good repository for that. It represents about 30% of the articles that we publish now. About. 52%, over half of the articles that we accept are actually original research, but we have a number of other, I think, useful article types like office tips and surgical techniques, and they have kind of a unique home. So I think positioning itself in terms of the types of articles, the breadth of articles that we offer to our readers is one of the things that makes it unique. I think being an open access journal is also very important. It's exclusively open access, save for our annual print edition, which is given out complimentary to attendees at the annual meeting. But it's an open access journal, meaning no subscription required, no other requirement to be able to access the content. I think that that's fairly unique among the orthopedic journals. We're also owned solely by AUKUS, whereas many other journals are owned by the publisher. This journal is owned by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, so it gives us a little bit more purview, I think, in terms of how the journal is run and allows us to take it in some different directions. So there's several things that I think kind of sets this journal apart. So our listeners are probably familiar with case reports and original research as a genre. Can you share an example of, you know, maybe a surgical technique or a white paper that was published so they can get an idea of what what that would mean? Oh, sure. One of the most downloaded articles or most read articles from the last year or two, I think, was by Brian McGrory just talking about the value of the lateral hip radiograph. I think that's what it was called, actually, the value of a lateral hip radiograph when evaluating a patient with hip pain in the office and kind of went through the rationale and how to get that and what kind of pathology can be picked up on additional views. I know some surgeons will just get a low AP of the pelvis, get an initial sense, but he he talked about how to do that and and the value of doing a uh, lateral hip radiograph. That's just one example. One of the most, I think the most downloaded articles ever in the history of the journal was a technique of uh, knee manipulation and it describes doing the knee manipulation primarily by using hip flexion instead of force at the knee to get the knee to manipulate and it's something I pass on to our trainees for those very rare occasions when I have to manipulate a, a total knee after surgery. 
Yeah, and I've seen another, I believe it was a surgical technique paper about just dilute betadine and how to use it and how in general and tips for that. So there's a lot of different ways to get published in arthroplasty today that are not necessarily present in the other orthopedic journals. Yeah, there's, I think, the second most downloaded or maybe even the most downloaded or article of all time in the journal was by David Delury just talking about a periarticular injection cocktail, and that's a very helpful useful, very practical uh, article that people refer to. If you look on the journal's main site, arthroplastytoday.org, we also have article collections where you can look up certain things like surgical techniques and office tips and also arthroplasty in patients with rare conditions. So there are some things that we see infrequently, but particularly for specialists, orthopedists, or subspecialists, there are some rare conditions that we have to encounter once in a while, and it's helpful to go to that section of the journal just to pick up how to handle and manage patients with something that you might not see very often and have some collective knowledge there. I think it's pretty helpful. Yeah, I agree that the, you know, the rare conditions, it's great. You can find a, basically a review article on something that you might see every now and then, but easy place to find it. There's the AJR review, the uh, invited editorials, the viewpoints that we get every year. Those are very relevant and stir up a little bit of controversy, which is kind of nice. So a lot of free thinking happening. So tell me more about what's the relationship between Arthroplasty Today, which you said is owned by AUKUS, and the Journal of Arthroplasty. How are they different? How are they related? Sure. So... Journal of Arthroplasty is arguably the premier journal for this specialty. It's the most publications in hip and knee arthroplasty of any other journal are published in the Journal of Arthroplasty. It has the highest impact factor for arthroplasty-related journals, and it's been established over an extended period of time and has a lot of reputational score among Let me our just remind colleagues. you, we're supposed to promote arthroplasty today here hey. and not just say how great JOA is. All right, let's let's focus, okay, focus you a know little what? bit. You know what, I'm, I'm, I'm getting that part, but, but the truth is, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants is, is one of the phrases that Michael Mont uses, and he used that at last night's JOA editorial board meeting. And really, it's true, you know, so AJRR was born out of the relationship that Brian McGorry had for years working with Journal of Arthroplasty and with AUKUS, and he kind of felt like that there was still a niche for a different type of journal. And so that relationship has continued, and we've, I think, been mutually supportive over time, and in particular, John Callahan, and now especially Michael Mont and the current group of associate editors at JOA work together to send articles or cascade articles, recommend transfer for articles that may be more appropriate for another journal, and they suggest Arthroplasty Today frequently. So maybe there's a small case series that still has publishable merit, but maybe isn't a big enough case series that Journal of Arthroplasty feels that they'll accept it, or a case report, or something that's more focused on surgical technique, like we talked about earlier. And those articles will come from JOA pre or post review, so that we still have an opportunity to publish a worthy article within the field of arthroplasty and within the auspices of AUKUS. So that's been just a very helpful relationship, not to mention the fact that both Michael Mott and John Callahan were incredibly influential and helpful mentors for me personally. 
So just to clarify, so if you submit your research to Journal of Arthroplasty, there is a chance that in the you know in your decision could be an opportunity to resubmit to Arthroplasty Today. Just want to clarify how that exactly works. Yeah. So there's one of the options that the editors have is to reject and suggest transfer, and that's really across all of the Elsevier platform. And there's some ways to go about finding an appropriate additional journal. The editors and uh, associate editors have that capacity. But one of the choices that they can make is reject pre or post review. So some of these articles have already been through a round or two of reviews and the final decision was made not to accept it, but the authors have gone through and made changes and they say, we're choosing not to accept this. However, you can send it to Arthroplasty Today and it'll go through another round of reviews, sometimes more. And I would say about a third of those articles end up getting published, maybe a little bit more. If you look at the acceptance rate across all journals, a 30% plus acceptance rate is pretty good, I think. It may even be higher than that, to be honest, maybe 40, 50%, so. So speaking of reviews, what are you looking for in a reviewer and how would our listeners get involved and become a reviewer if they want to? Uh, I mean, it, we appreciate any and all reviewers that we could possibly get. So, you know, <laughs> this, this is not begging, but, well, you know, we will take people on. Obviously, the reviewers are ultimately vetted. We do keep scores on them and tabs on how their reviews go. But if you want to get involved, it's very easy. Just reach out to Greg, myself. And you can reach out to pretty much, you know, anybody at an academic institution, and they're going to be able to get you involved through AUKUS. We're looking for all levels of reviewers, senior, junior, fellows. We'll take everybody and hopefully that as you review, you'll find it rewarding. And then as you do more and more reviews, there is opportunity to advance further and further in orthoplasty today and maybe even one day on the editorial board if you work your way up. Well, obviously, so that's how I got started. One of my mentors from fellowship recommended me to review for orthoplasty today. I started reviewing and then right. And and the rest is history. And now you're stuck on this podcast with me <laughs> yeah. somehow. Yeah, so be careful just be, care, be, be careful who you, <laughs> yeah. who you do. Yeah, yeah. Success breeds success. But We'll accept reviewers starting at fellow level, and it's not too burdensome if you're just in the reviewer pool. If you're in the editorial board, a little bit more is, is expected in terms of volume and uh, of reviews, but a reviewer might even just be a few reviews a year. But the expectation is that the reviews done in a timely and professional manner, focusing on the science and the quality and the impact of the publication, and we may actually be getting a little more granular in terms of reviewer instructions and guidance in the coming year. We've had very good reviews by and large, and there are educational resources through Elsevier about what constitutes a good quality review. And then we rate them, and the people who do the most and the best quality reviews get a little recognition at the annual, annual editorial board meeting. So shout out to Nicholas Brown and Matt Bullock for being the reviewers. They tied for first this year and well-deserved, but we do keep track of the timeliness and the quality and the volume of the reviews, so. So let's say you're a fellow and you've never reviewed anything, you've never done any journal reviews before, but you really want to do a, be a reviewer for Arthroplasty Today and you, you get involved. So there any particular, what, you mentioned some resources. So like, where can they go? Like, where can they find out, you know, how to do a good review and resources about that. Yeah, there's something called Elsevier Reviewer Hub. And I think you could just probably type that into a search engine and it'll pop you right to the right place. And there's some instructional content there. Another thing to do would be to just ask one of your mentors in academia who can give you some sort of a, a guideline and rubric. But there's more than one way to write 
a good review. There's no perfect way to do it. Some journals are a little bit more prescriptive about it, but at the end of the day, I think focusing on the quality of the science and just going step by step through the paper from uh, the various sections, abstract methods, introduction methods, results, conclusions, does the study have a clear aim and hypothesis? Are the methods designed appropriately to answer the question? Are the results reported appropriately with appropriate statistics and confidence intervals and hazard ratios? And there's a lot of focus on p-values, but there's, that's not the end-all be-all for sure. So be careful about looking at very, very big p-values for something that's clinically irrelevant, you know. And then is the discussion properly constructed to describe the the significance of the results and how it compares to other results and are the conclusions supported by the data i mean that's, that's like a pretty pretty extensive answer but that's <laughs> that's a resource that's yeah, how yeah, to do it. And to some this. people get more into the you know the figures and tables i think some comment there is sometimes helpful i would say if you're just starting to review don't focus on the grammar and syntax and punctuation because that is taken care of by other means with the proofreaders and typesetters and uh, other kind of software can take care of that. So really focusing on the science, I think, is the key. You, you do get to select fields and aspects of orthopedics that you're good at or you want to review in, and then we do try to match people up with that. So it's not like you're going to be asked to be completely out of your comfort zone as far as what you're going to be reviewing. And then, you know, to not look at it as a chore or like a means to an end, I find myself like learning stuff through reviewing, keeping up with the literature, like it's just a way to stay involved. So, you know, I, I would recommend getting involved if you if you want. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I will I will also just add that reading the reviews of papers that I've submitted and also reviewing the other reviewers' comments has made me a much more critical thinker. There's no doubt about it. So... Uh, I would encourage that. So you, you can read what the other reviewer, other reviewers wrote. And I'm here to tell you there's some smart people out there who really, they'll, they'll pick up on things that myself, another reviewer, an associate editor, no one picked up on that's very, very insightful and really helpful. Almost always a good set of reviews will make a paper a better, stronger paper. And all of us who are in academics and in publishing Actually, I welcome the reviews because it's, it requires some work to answer the questions. It does, and sometimes it's a lot of work, but invariably you end up with a better product. There's no question about that. And maybe this says too much about like my life, but I get really excited if I just submit a review and then I read the other review and it's like similar points or like make the same <laughs> right? recommendation. It's like, like, oh man, this made my day. But again, I think that's a commentary on how boring my life is. Yeah, so confirmation bias is a great thing. <laughs> that's right, that's I do right. know what I'm doing. That's right, exactly. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Well, any, you know, for both of you, what sort of future plans or goals do you have for the journal in the years to come? We have applied for Clarivate indexing, which would put us on the web of science. That's a major milestone achievement. We've been talking about it for a while. It took us a while to do all of the requisite steps in terms of tidying up the production and quality assurance and everything in the journal. That took almost two years and even correcting some things from previous issues and things that I didn't even know about until we started this process. But we've We've submitted our Clarivate application. It could be a year or two, but that would be a, for sure a capstone achievement for, for this block of time in the journal. And uh, so that's one thing for sure. We'd like to get our time to review down to under 30 days. We've gradually ratcheted it down, but that's where we'd like to have our, our first decision. We'd like to push under four weeks even over the next 12 months. And I think that's feasible. There are a few other things 
We're still looking actively to diversify our board geographically and demographically. So we're actively recruiting international members and members who can help to diversify us by gender, race, ethnicity, background, areas of expertise. Those are all remain critically important. And one of the things that's a personal goal of mine is to help other people with their professional development. So it's really bringing on new people and giving them opportunities and showing them the ropes and giving them the chance to advance. And we are trying to operate with somewhat of a meritocracy. So the, the people who are getting added to the editorial board, like you, Anna, were people who were doing a great job as reviewers. So <clears throat> answering the request to review in a timely fashion, doing a good job, and, uh, and getting good ratings, not declining a bunch of requests to review, basically being a good citizen. And so you were invited to be on the editorial board because you had a track record a couple years of doing an outstanding job. Well, thank you very much. And let's, let's keep talking about how great I am for the oh, rest yeah. of the well, podcast. Well, let's what talk else about, do you let's like talk about, about what a good job you're doing <laughs> in, so, in, in social media. So I'd uh, like to see us expand our social media. <laughs> uh, and, so since you're, you're asking, tell us a little bit about the social media presence of Arthroplasty Today, that, the interaction that we have, the sister journal interaction, if you will, that we have with JOA, because that's a relevant connection there. Yeah. And what things are you looking for over the next uh, over the next 12 months or so on the social media side? That's been a huge change, and we've been at this for about two years now, I think, doing the social media, doing the social media stuff, maybe not even quite two years, but just go ahead and, and, and take the lead on that. Tell me where we are and where you want to go. Sure. Well, as always, whenever we talk about Arthroplasty Today social media, you have to talk about Jamie Bellamy, who is the original social media editor for Arthroplasty Today, who is now moved on to Journal of Arthroplasty, so she set a really good groundwork for what we're doing. Our main platform for Arthroplasty Today on social media is Twitter. We also do post the similar content on um, Facebook and Instagram, but Twitter is where we have kind of the most interaction with the Ortho Twitter community. We generally will post visual abstracts, which is it's great that you're listening to this on a, but there's nothing better than describing a picture on a podcast, so it's great, but it's basically like an image with some graphics and sort of key points from an article, as well as a link to the article, and then, you know, tagging different surgeons that are active on Twitter, and to start hopefully a discussion and engagement and have people read the article, and, you know, posting also links to the various articles as well. And we have about 5,800 followers at this point on Twitter, and I think, of course, I'm going to very biased, but I think we do a good job of engaging people in discussion and exposing our articles to the world so that people can learn more about what types of articles we publish. We do also kind of help post articles from Journal Arthroplasty and they'll do the same for us to sort of promote, we'd like to promote each other's research, which I think is really helpful as well. And in terms of where to go next, I mean, I don't know. We'll see if it would be good to expand into more video, which I think JOA is doing a little bit of this, or even TikTok, right? So I'm going to sound like 87 years old, but like the kids are on TikTok. So it's definitely, a, you know, I'm focused more on Twitter now, but I know TikTok has become more of an avenue in other surgeons have been, have been using it as well. So that could be, you know, the next step. But we welcome also any feedback to us if you want to get in touch with us at Arthroplasty Today, if you um, have any ideas about social media. It also might be good to expand our involvement and you know have volunteers from trainees who want to be more involved in the journal. That could be a way to expand. So it's not happening yet, but that's another thing I could look into over the next year. Yeah, how much input do you want from authors? Is this, are we actively soliciting tweets and 
visual abstracts from the authors. I know some journals are doing that and we've talked about doing it. I don't think we've had much pick up on that yet, but I think one of the things is a wave of the future. So when people are looking to get their work out in the in the Twitterverse or elsewhere in social media, then some people who are quite active are posting their articles right when they're online, creating some of their own visual abstracts. You've seen some of that. Is that a direction that you'd like to see this go? Well, I mean, it would be less work for me if they make the visual abstract. So I mean that, but no, seriously, that would, I do always try to involve, you know, and when you are accepted, if your article's accepted, we ask for any social media, you know, handles that we could use. So if there is an author who is um, on using social media, I'll try to tag them when I, when I post about it. And it is interesting because sometimes I do notice the author will post about it first and that'll be sort of helpful for me to know, okay, this is an author who's active on social media and will help engage the discussion and that'll make me more likely to kind of highlight that and, and engage them. Can you tell me about the your favorite post? Favorite post. Favorite post, most popular post. Most popular. Okay. Now I'm interviewing you. I like this. <laughs> uh -oh. I like this. The tables Freaky are turned. So there was Presto a post change I did a couple weeks ago looking at um, revision rates of a specific implant with a specific failure mode? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, with a specific cement and combinations thereof. And it was a little bit controversial. And I think, you know, that can be a way to generate discussion. So uh, that I think was nice for me to see how many different services engage r respectfully for the most part. And, you know, even people from it, it, the discussion was not just about that input, it sort of spun off into a discussion on the usefulness of registries, right? So it sometimes goes in direction you don't expect. Um, I was just trying to start some drama, but no, seriously, I think it, it was very useful to help thinking about, oh, in other countries they actually have registries to look at, at a more granular level on failure modes of implants. So that was one recently that I think stood out. So what post had the most attention this year? This year? Well, now you're putting me on the spot. I have to go back and look at all the stats. I think no, it was the revision knee with out. robotics. Oh. Right? Revision knee with robotics got the most it, social yeah. media attention. So pretty interesting. So new technology garners attention, right? Interest in enabling technology. I was talking with one of our European editorial board members earlier today, and he said there's two directions that are clear in arthroplasty now. One is prevention and treatment of infection. These are unsolved problems. And the other is technology. So we have lots and lots of new technology, but there's unsolved applications. We're still looking for our surgical targets. We can't agree on the best way to do things or what the best technology and what's gonna win out. So he said these are the two things that are really driving people's attention. So if you have posts, it seems to me that the things that are related to infection and the things that are related to technology really grab people's attention and get a discussion going because those are the areas that are very unsolved problems. We don't have concerns about how to fix it, fix implants or really most of the technical stuff. You could argue surgical approaches or various philosophies, but at the end of the day, the things that we really have yet to make inroads on are infection and the role of technology and how to apply it. And so I thought that was interesting that that post in particular got the most attention. Technology people tend to be the ones that are probably on social media. That's a good point. And, and actually understand and know how to use Twitter fair. and the Twitterverse. Fair, fair, accepted. Um, hopefully that stuff continues to grow and, and everybody that sees their visual abstract either retweets it or likes it or passes it on and you know the more support on social media the better. Thank you to Dr. Galladay and Dr. Levine for joining me on this episode about arthroplasty today. Please, I encourage everybody listening to 
go to the website, look at the journal, or if you have the physical copy of the highlights issue from the Akis Annual Meeting, read that as well. Follow us on Twitter, follow us on social media, and most importantly, submit to the journal and get your research published. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Brett. I appreciate it. Enjoy the meeting. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the meeting. Thank you for joining us for AUKUS Amplified. Visit AUKUS.org to learn more about how members of the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons educate, advocate, investigate, and perform humanitarian outreach in the field of hip and knee replacement surgery.